You are listening to the Grove Church Podcast, where you will find a message that is biblically based, relatable, and easy to understand. For more content or to learn more about the Grove Church, go to grovech.org. Well, good morning. Hope you're doing well this morning. Hope you're enjoying your week. And I want everybody just to do this. Do me a favor. Repeat after me. Everybody say, go Broncos. One more time. Go Broncos. Okay, there we go. Just making sure uh, that we're all good. We're all on the same side here. Um, hey, we're, what we're going to do uh, for the service today, instead of walk through uh, the scriptures, is we're just going to find out who's going to have the best spread for the Super Bowl. My wife and I and four kids are coming to your house. So we're going to start over here. And Just kidding. No, just joking. Anyway, hey, we are going to be in... Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, if you got a Bible with you, I will say this because I think it is important. If you own a Bible, I really want to encourage you to bring it uh, to church and, and, and just get familiar with the pages and stuff like that. And so if you got one in the future, bring it. We always encourage note-taking as well. And so even in the hub, our information center in the lobby, we have this little $5 journal you can get. And, and, and again, great for taking notes, especially for those in life groups, uh, just to kind of follow along and have some uh, intelligent conversation throughout the week with your life groups. But uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're going to land. Of course, if you have a smartphone, you can follow along in there. And we're in a series called Eyes Wide Open. We've been talking about this topic of generosity, and today is is another facet of the conversation. And so uh, we'll land, like I said, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, my wife and I, Heather, uh, before we had kids, we actually used to live on Camano Island quite a few years ago, and that's quite a ways from, from here. Uh, so I was working here years ago in a different capacity, and we would uh, take that commute. And one of the things that we would do, and I don't know how your marriage works, but we would play random games as we would drive. And so one of the games we would play was this. One of us would come up with a phrase and the other would uh, tell, uh, tell the other where it came from. Um, um, so it, just to follow along, because some of you are maybe even confused now, there's all kinds of famous phrases in our culture that you're aware of or cliches or whatever you want to call them. And, and somebody just, just, I'll tell you where it came from. If you just yell out um, a phrase, go ahead. Somebody just give me some random famous phrase. What? More than one way to skin a cat. That actually originated um, back in the 1400s with King Henry VII. And um, what happened was way back then they had a real problem in England with stray cats. So what they would do is um, they would string them up by their tails. And originally they would literally just start skinning from the tail down. And then that's kind of how it would go. Until all of a sudden one of the guys that actually did the process of skinning cats decided, you know what, there's a lot of ways to, to do this. And so sometimes they would hang them by their whiskers, by their legs. And just it came about in, in you know the 1400s in England that there was more than one way to skin a cat. So um, anyway, was that horrible enough for you? Was that so? There you go. Um, by the way, none of that is true. I have no idea where the phrase came. Like, wow, he's smart. No, I just anyway. Okay. So that's kind of the idea. We're all pretty familiar with different phrases. Thank you for that one, by the way. Um, but um, again, others you might know include things like a stitch in time saves nine or um, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Um, getting the cart before the horse, the tail is wagging the dog. It's like riding a bike. Um, and, and then I thought, you know, there's other ones that are a little more um, in a certain niche called redneck cliches. And I thought you might appreciate some of these as well. So here's a few for you. Um, and I'll go ahead and give you them in, in an accent that helps you feel like you and I are from Alabama. So if you're from Alabama, congratulations today. But um, hey, that guy's as welcome as a skunk at a barbecue. So um, uh, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. <clears throat> uh, the engine's running, but nobody's driving. Or man, that guy is as happy as a tick on a fat dog. So, 
there's some cliches for you, some famous phrases. Um, and then some of my favorites, honestly, if you know Yogi Berra at all, um, he's known for Yogi Berra-isms. And uh, so I'm going to read you some of these. They're not maybe as well known, but they're still pretty uh, amusing at least. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> Nobody goes there nowadays. It's too crowded. Uh, you can observe a lot by just watching. And then this one, I'm not going to buy my kids an encyclopedia, let them walk to school like I did. And for some of you that don't get that, it's probably because you're too young. So we'll just continue on. Today, what I want to do, though, is I want to discuss a phrase um, from the scriptures that's come, uh, that has become in our world a bit of a, a cliche, I guess. Um, there are a few ways to say it. One would be what goes around comes around. Another one, another way to say it, you get what you deserve. Um, but biblically, it, it goes like this. You reap what you sow. And we're going to dive into this today because in Eyes Wide Open Part 4, we're going to talk about sowing and reaping. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 9, like I said, is where we're going to land. I'm going to read and then I'm going to pray and then we're going to walk through the text uh, this morning. It says this, remember this, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Father, today is my prayer that as we continue this conversation about eyes wide open, looking for ways to be generous, to be a blessing, that Father, you would, you would challenge us, help us uh, gain a, a perspective here when it comes to sowing and reaping. And God, we just surrender to you, pray that you would work for some that are maybe brand new today. God, we pray that all of us would be able to learn about some basic principles in Jesus name. Amen. Verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Paul here is talking about generosity and he's going to offer just a few basic principles. First of all, it's super practical. It goes like this. Not many of us in here have probably been farmers, but we can understand this idea that if a farmer goes out to sow seed and he sows a hundred seeds, what's he's, what he's going to get um, is, is a return on a hundred seeds. If a farmer goes out and plants 10,000 seeds, they're going to get a far greater return because they've planted 10,000. The same is true for you and I when it comes to this conversation about generosity. That for you and I, as we increase in our generosity, we will reap generously. So the first principle that, that Paul's talking about here when he talks about sowing sparingly and reaping sparingly, sowing generously and reaping generously is this. What you sow, you reap. I want everybody to say that. What you sow, you reap. That's a basic principle. Now, in this context, Paul is talking about money. And so a few weeks ago, we talked about this word tithing and, and, and it's a biblical principle that means for you and I to set aside 10% of our income and, and, and give to the work of God through the church. It can also be called 
first fruits. Now, there's been some conversations in life groups, and we've been talking about uh, finances here for a few weeks. Again, we don't often do this, and it's been actually a couple of years since we really dove in. And so here we are today, and we're going to get into another portion of the conversation later on in the message. But right now, as Paul's talking about resources, in life groups, there was kind of a, a, a misunderstanding in one of the groups, and there was a question brought up. Somebody said, well, as a church, you're a nonprofit. Don't you get funding from the government? And the answer is this. No, we don't. We don't get a penny from the government at all. Um, What we're able to do, we're able to do because we're all part of giving to to really make this happen. So I just want to clear that up. But when you go back to the conversation about tithing, you go back to the Old Testament and it says in in a multitude of places, uh, this picture, this idea of tithing, a couple of them would be Proverbs, if you're taking notes, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth. With the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, for some of you, you're like, you know what? I don't have any crops and, and I don't really care about having vats full of new wine. Some of you guys are like, give me vats of new wine. And we'll talk about that in another message on another day. Um, something else entirely. But again, fast forward in context to this idea of, of setting aside what's called first fruits or this tithe. Um, and it says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. The idea is this picture of who's our provider. And we're going to get to that here in a moment, but that's Proverbs chapter three, setting aside, trusting and letting God provide the only place, by the way, in the Bible where it says that you and I can test God is in, in the book of Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. And again, we're still in the Old Testament here. It says um, in, in Malachi chapter 3, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. Keep in mind, the book of Malachi is a prophetic book where God has put a message on the heart of a prophet that's supposed to go before the people of Israel and say, hey, here's some things you need to be very aware of. Here's some areas that aren't quite going right. Here's some areas that are. And when you get to chapter 3, we get into this conversation. God says, return to me and I will return to you. But you ask, how are we to return to you? Will a man, uh, excuse me, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. Well, Well, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Verse 10 of Malachi 3. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Okay. In this context, as as Malachi is telling the nation of Israel, we have a problem here. First of all, he says, well, how are we robbing you? Well, in in your giving. There's there's a lack of generosity going on with the nation of Israel. He says, you're you're under a curse because you're robbing me. Then he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then that phrase, test me in this. And, and what you and I are called to do is be generous. And in, in a sense for you and I, it's a test of our faith. God, am I going to trust that you are my provider that as I give and as I walk in generosity, that you're able to give back? Okay. Caution here. This is not an idea that you and I give in order to get. We don't give in order to get. I don't give going, God, I'm going to drop 10 bucks in the offering. And I look forward to you giving me a hundred back. 
And there's some people that kind of get this idea that, that if we give, then God will give back and that's all good. And, and that's where you get the manipulation of your, your 2 a.m. televangelist that all of a sudden is saying, you in the, at your home right now and, and you're looking at the screen and you're hearing my message today. What I want you to do is I want you to sow and I'm going to ask you to get out your checkbook right now or, or you're going to get out your credit card and you're going to go right now to this website and you're going to fill this out and, and what you're going to do is you're going to write a check and it's going to be generous. And right now you're thinking of a number and you need to add a zero to it and you're going to give generously and you're going to watch what God can do when you sow into my ministry. If you're ever up at 2 a.m., there's a decent chance you could find this individual or a few of them. Now, I say all of that to say it's easy for us to misunderstand the point of this message. It's easy for us to, to, to let it be twisted or become something it's not supposed to be. First of all, we don't give to get. And I'm going to get to the motivation of why we give here in a moment. But when you look at what this says at the same time, when, when Malachi says the, Lord, the Lord's word is test me in this. And then it goes on to see, see if I will not flo- uh, throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. Did you hear the word there? Pour out so much cash. Pour out so much stuff. That's not the word. Pour out so much blessing. Sometimes it happens to be that as we live generously, we see God return back even financially. Sometimes as we trust and, and, and give generously, we see God do other things. And that's where when you get to the, to the bottom here, it says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields won't drop their fruit before it is ripe. And most of us in the room don't have fields and we're worried about our crops. Most of us don't have vines and we're worried about the fruit dropping to most of us. But fast forward from this to today. And when you look at the picture of God being our provider, sometimes the blessing of God looks like this. As I live generously, God supernaturally causes things in my world to last far longer than maybe they would. And and again, I want to get very practical because sometimes it's as simple as this. You own a washer and dryer and you've owned it for 15, 20, 25 years. And you're like, that thing is still going. I, I kind of wish it would break. And yet, because God is able to, to bless us, sometimes he can make a simple thing like a washer and dryer last far longer than it would. Sometimes it's your vehicle. And you're like, I got 300,000 miles on this beast, and it's still going. And sometimes that's because God is, is blessing you in that way to help you from having to go deal with buying another vehicle. There's all kinds of avenues that this takes place that are very, very practical. And it's not just the fact that I I give God this and I look for a check in the mail for 10 times the amount. Because somewhere in the Bible it says 10 times or 30 times or 100 times. It takes place in all kinds of ways. And sometimes it's not even as as practical as stuff or things or, 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 or objects in our lives lasting long sometimes this idea of of blessing is what god can do in the human heart and we're going to get to that in a moment what god can do in us as we live generously as we walk in generosity what god does in us to keep money from owning us now it goes on in verse eight here and I'm going to get back to verse 7 in a minute. It goes on in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 9. And God, it's the same idea of, of, as the end of Malachi. And God is able to bless you abundantly. And listen to these words. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 
Verse 10. Now he who, is, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Principle two, Paul is trying to paint a picture of what it means for God to be our provider. When you and I understand the nature of this God who not only forgave us of our sins, not only sent us the Holy Spirit to to guide us and give us a conscience and steer us and convict us, not only gave us the scriptures that show us the, the, the nature of this God that we serve, not only refuses to leave us or forsake us on our worst days, not only above and beyond what we deserve gives us generously all kinds of things. But it, but it says here that, that this God is our provider. And the picture that we get should encourage and increase our faith. The picture becomes what I said here is, as principle two. Who you trust determines how you give. Who you trust determines how you give. When we live in financial generosity, we're giving God the opportunity to bless us abundantly. Now, again, this is where we get into, oh, here we go. As much as I hate that this sounds like a sales pitch, I'm telling you, look at what the Bible teaches. Look at what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. What you sow, you reap. Jesus said in Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Your spending reveals your heart. We don't give to get Listen to this. We give to keep greed from owning us. We give to reflect God's heart of generosity. We give to advance the kingdom of Christ. And we give to trust God who is called in scripture Jehovah Jireh among other things. And you go, well, what does that even mean? That's a weird word. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord. It literally means the Lord that provides. And the truth is, for every single person in the room, whether you want to debate it or not, God is our provider. Remember, who you trust determines how you give. God is our provider. And you can go, well, I work hard and I make an income. Who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you the hands? Who gave you the brain? Who gave you the air to breathe? Who gave you all that you have so that you can accomplish what you're called and you need to accomplish every single day? God is our provider, whether we see it the way we ought to and whether we acknowledge it or not. God is Jehovah Jireh for all of us. He gives us the ability to create income. He gives us the ability to breathe the air. He gives us the ability to exist in the ways that we do. God is our provider. Now, I said a couple of weeks ago in this series, um, there are some who would say, well, wait a minute, you said this word tithing, and what I understand, some would say this, what I understand is tithing is an Old Testament principle. If you look at the New Testament, it doesn't talk about this idea of tithing. I would debate that. Go to 2 Corinthians 16. Paul talks about setting aside a sum and keeping with your income to give. But anyway, um, when you get into this word tithe, some would say, well, that doesn't include New Testament. We're free from that because we're in the New Testament. No, no. What the New Testament says is you and I live generously. Most, almost every scholar, I, I, every scholar I've read, most scholars would say the picture of New Testament generosity is above and beyond 10%. It's, it's, it's wildly generous. And so I want to begin to wrap up the money side of this conversation so you can feel free to invite your friends back again. <laughs> They're going to talk about money. They better not come this week. So we're going we're to make a shift in this whole series starting today. But I want to take a moment on verse 7. I'm going to go back a couple of verses to 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. 
Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, what Paul understands is that it's real easy for you and me to be manipulated. For you and I, our heartstrings are pulled, and all of a sudden we're, we're doing things that, that when we're clear-headed, we maybe shouldn't do. And so Paul understands it's easy to be manipulated. I understand that as a pastor, I, I bear the grave responsibility of teaching the scriptures. At the same time, you're not meant to leave here and go, oh, that's exactly it. Now I believe all that and great. I need to change this or that. If you don't do what you're called to do, it's easy to slip into a cult. It's easy for you to, to listen to the teachings of, of one individual and decide that that must be truth and that's good enough. Which is why we say all the time, it is your responsibility if you're a follower of Christ. It is your responsibility to read the scriptures yourself. You've got to take in what they say. You've got to discern. Okay, the, you know what? He's saying that, but, but you know, I read this and I, I want to kind of study that out because I'm not sure, whatever. You take it. See, one of my favorite verses, if you're looking for a great verse to memorize this week or this month or whatever you do, here's a great verse. Acts 17, 11. If you're taking notes, write it down. Acts 17, 11. Paul, again, establishing churches all over the place and, 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 and teaching about the way and all this stuff. But there's a verse in Acts 17 that always caught my attention, so I memorized it a long time ago. Now, the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians because they received Paul's message with eagerness and they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was true. They're the only ones noted in the book of Acts. They're the only ones noted to have noble character. See, this is where my, my, my caution is always, you, you have somebody who comes along in the 1820s and they have a revelation from God and they're in the woods and they're given golden tablets and they're given these spectacles that help them interpret the words on the golden tablets and they go behind a sheet and they interpret what was said behind the sheet and they bring out a new book and say, voila, Christian community, I have something new that God has shown me. And what it says in here that I found from these golden tablets that are now hidden again and nobody's ever been able to find is a whole nother way that means jesus didn't just exist in israel jesus didn't just do what he did in the scriptures jesus also came to north america and established communities all over the east coast of which nobody can ever find because they never existed and the guy comes up and says hey i have a new way and now we call it the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints the mormon church because one person came along and said i learned something new that nobody ever knew before and people went along with it because they hadn't known the scriptures that identify who Jesus is in a totally different way than what you see in the Book of Mormon. You have an individual who comes along in the 1870s and says his word from God was all the churches in the world are corrupt. And I'm going to show you a brand new way. And again, begins to write more material that's from God. And Charles Taze Russell Establishing the Jehovah's Witnesses all over the world. Because one person comes along and says to the church, I have a new way God has shown me because everything else is corrupt. Do you see how important it is for you to understand this? I realize in this conversation we're talking about sowing and reaping. And you could say, well, is that a bit of a sidebar to this conversation? Not a bit. 
Because to be honest with you, I'm as tired as you are of people being manipulated by scripture, being manipulated to give this and do that and all this stuff. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Let's look at the Bible. And Paul says, you know what? It's real easy for people to be coerced, to do something out of compulsion. He says, don't do it that way. Don't do it that way. That's why I appreciate what Andrew said a few weeks ago about the idea of being generous means having a plan. It's a lot more difficult to be manipulated when you have a plan. Now, this is where we move on and y'all can laugh and breathe the sigh of relief. Okay, we're done with the money part. Whew, I can keep going to this church now. One more thing on money, I'm leaving. Nervous laughter. <laughs> That's so funny. Seriously, though. I would be a fool to teach that this principle is only about money. Because the Bible talks about sowing and reaping in all kinds of other contexts that are important as well. And this is where, like I said, throughout the rest of this series for, for the month of February, we're going to be talking about what it means to be generous in grace and compassion, what it means to be generous in relationship, what it means to be generous in time. And all. we're going to talk about all that. But, but I would be a fool to act like this is only about money. And as, as we continue on, this principle still remains in the entire conversation. I'm going to have you repeat one more time after me. What we sow, we will reap. So we're going to talk about all these other things. Here's a little word of caution, though. This, this whole conversation about sowing and reaping is not only about good things. What you sow, you also reap in the way of negative things, of sinful patterns, of addictions. And so, real quick, I'm just going to take you through Galatians chapter 6, if you're taking notes, verses 7 through 10. Because this principle holds true with, with the negative things as well. Paul says to the church in Galatia, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, a woman as well. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Galatians 6, 9. Do not grow weary in doing good or doing well. For in due time or at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. See, Paul is saying this idea of sowing and reaping, it's not just about money, although 2 Corinthians 9, he was talking about money. In Galatians 6, he's saying, look, you can sow and reap in all kinds of ways, but be careful because if you're sowing to please the flesh then you're sowing destruction that will come back on you. Many of the things that you and I would excuse as, as just innocent entertainment or not a big deal, in the end become a much bigger deal. Let's just take, and I'm not picking on anybody in particular, but if you just take the idea of smoking, oftentimes you take somebody who begins smoking at 13 years old and they had a cigarette or whatever, and then a few years later they kind of got, and then 16, 18, they started kind of regularly getting into it. 25, it's a habit, you know, by 30, it's two packs a day and on. Where does that lead to? Most often, there's all kinds of health issues related to smoking. And I, I'm not just picking on this, but I'm telling you, you, you can pretty much pick what the future looks like at 50 and 60 and 70 and 80 if they live that long, many people, from, you know, emphysema and health issues, COPD, cancer. I mean, we all know that these are things that are connected to smoking. If you sow towards something negative, inevitably you reap that same thing. It's not just practical though. It's also spiritual. That as you and I sow to please the flesh. Paul says you and I reap destruction. 
So be careful. When it comes to this conversation of sowing and reaping, be careful. There are all kinds of ways that you and I need to be aware of in our lives. And that's where I'm so convinced that as followers of Christ, when the Bible says that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, that if we would take the time to stop and listen. And you go, what am I listening for? Joe, here's what I'm telling you. Thus saith the Lord. If that happens, boy, that's rare. But oftentimes in our minds as we're going about life and we might even say, Jesus, would you just guide me today? I got a, I got a relationship issue with somebody or I got, you know, this, this sin thing that's a habit. Jesus, would you show me how to walk in victory? Would you show me what it means to, to, to walk away from the sinful pattern here, whatever it is? And I'm a big believer that God will give you little windows into how to take steps away from whatever it is that's negative. That's why the Holy Spirit in our lives is so very important. Even back to that whole manipulation thing. Hey, don't, don't give under compulsion or, 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 or be manipulated. No, no. Give what you've di- decided in your heart. By the way, the Bible talks about when we invite Jesus into our lives, he lives in our heart. You see, this is the same deal. It's the Holy Spirit that's convicting us of sin, of dealing with certain issues in us, of, of, of reminding us of the grace of God when we fail and we go, God, I really blew it. And I just, I know I, I feel badly, but Lord, would you forgive me? And, and he does. It's the Holy Spirit inside of us. And it's the Holy Spirit that will reveal in us their sin. But are you giving him that window? Are you willing to say, Jesus, here I am today. And I'd love for you to do a little inventory here. Would you show me something that, that isn't a healthy pattern in my life? Would you, would you reveal to me something that, that's, that's not healthy? That I'm sowing towards the flag? Would you show me? Because I want that broken in my life. And as he shows you, the beauty of it is, the next step is, now that I see it, hey God, would you forgive me for that? Because I know that's not okay. That's not what you want. And there's no condemnation. Romans 8, 1, for those who are in Christ. And so we, 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 we move on in grace, inviting the Holy Spirit. Now, God, that I've asked for forgiveness, as I move away from this, would you show me each day what that looks like? Would you show me each day how, how to pull it off? How to forgive, how to walk in compassion, how to let that habit go. What, what does it look like? And there's all kinds of practical examples of, of, of what that looks like in our lives, depending on whatever it is that's tripping us up. So it's probably another conversation for another day. Let me ask you a simple question as we end today. What are you sowing? What are you sowing? Just, just go through the inventory in your minds. What are you sowing? Are you sowing generosity, eyes wide open, or or stinginess, skeptical, critical, glaring even? Are you sowing peace, or are you sowing drama? Are, are Are you sowing integrity, being the same person in private as you are in public, not having to hide certain issues in your life? Are you sowing integrity, or are you sowing corruption? Are you sowing to please the flesh in us? Or are you sowing to please the spirit? I want you to think for me for, think for a moment with me. I want you to think about somebody in your life that's generous. And again, I'm not just talking the money thing. Maybe a part, that's part, but somebody who lives generously. Think about who they are. Think about what you like. Think about why you tend to want to be around them. 
And now think about somebody who's stingy. Think about somebody you, you kind of avoid if you can. Think about somebody who's an encourager. Think about somebody you appreciate because they always have something that builds you up when you're around them. Again, you want to be around them. Think about somebody who's a discourager. Somebody who, when you leave their presence, you feel like you just complained about all the different things in your life that just aren't right. Somebody who brings out that stuff in you where you're like, ah, this, and I don't like that. Man, you see that, and can you believe they did that? And you walk away like, ugh. Think about Jesus. Literally, do your best to think about Jesus. If you've read the Gospels, how did he navigate the people that he encountered day in and day out? Think about in the moments where somebody who'd never walked and he, and, he, and he prays and all of a sudden they can get up and walk and run and jump in that moment. Think about the conversation with the woman at the well that, that she, she felt beat down and, and it had this pattern of, of multiple marriage, all this stuff. And Jesus comes in and has a conversation that opens up hope. Think about the teaching that when the crowds walked away, it says they were amazed. And it's a good word. Because he taught with a certain authority that they hadn't seen. Think about Jesus. Now think about Judas. The one who betrayed Jesus. A few different times where he's, he's pulled out a scripture in particular and, and described. It talks about how he was complaining about the woman who knelt before Jesus with perfume and poured it all over his feet. And Judas thought was that was worth a lot of money. Think about Judas who, when he's described in the gospels at one point, it says he was the one who handled the money with the disciples. Somehow they had a sack of money to live and go where they needed to go. And it says he would dip his hand in and take money out for himself. Think about Judas who was the one who betrayed Jesus. The reason I say that is because I want you to paint, look at a picture of somebody who lives the way God wants us to live in generosity and individuals who don't. There's no doubt in my mind in this room if we're thinking clearly, we're all going, I like the encourager. I like the generous person. I sure appreciate Jesus. You know, I'm really not a fan of the discourager. I really, the stingy people, they're a little nervous. They make me nervous. And man, Judas, it's pretty sad. Father, today, yeah, we talked about money again. But Lord, it's so much bigger than that too. That God, we would live with generous eyes. Even as we started this whole series, this, this, this idea that we look around and we're looking for ways to be generous. Looking for ways, eyes wide open, to be a blessing to those around us in all kinds of contexts. And God, whether it's with our resources and understanding some biblical principles about how we function and continue to move the ball forward as a church. Or God, it's the conversations that we navigate here coming up about our time. God, about our friendships and relationships. God, about compassion and mercy and grace. Father, would you create in all of us the want, the desire to lead the way with irrational generosity. Thank you for it, God. Do something in each of our lives in Jesus' name. Amen.